Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio.
Blog Talk Radio.
And welcome to Reality in Christ Worship Radio. I'm your host, Reverend Thomas Dwayne Smith. And we have a phenomenal show tonight. My spiritual father in the faith is going to be back with us tonight to continue his message that he started on last week. But you know how we do this. We're going to get on and set the atmosphere with worship. And the first song that we're going to play is Alabaster Box. We'll go through the song, then I'll open up with prayer, little scripture, and then Pastor John will be with us. So. Into a little treasure box I thought I found 
reality in Christ, worship and word here on True Radio Network, here on Blog Talk Radio. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to worship and bring the word. Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ that those who are listening to receive, and they will be blessed not only by what I'm about to read, but by the message of my spiritual father in the faith, Pastor John Anderson. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you continue to bless him and his family. You bless those families that his message will touch. And Father, I say a special prayer for my friend Diana Hyde, Lord God, for she is right now making intercession for many people, Father God, many people who have a need to hear from you. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that this word that's about to go forth will bless those, give them wisdom and understanding. In the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Before I bring Pastor John on, I am going to read from Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 1 through 10. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the sons of your people, and say to them, If I bring a sword upon the land, and the people of the land take one man from among them, and make him their watchman, And he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows on the trumpet and warns the people. Then he who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, and a sword comes and takes him away. His blood will will be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet but did not take warning. His blood will be upon himself. But had he taken warning, he would have delivered his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trump or not warn, and a sword comes and takes a person from them, he is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. Now, as for you, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel. So you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you you will surely die. You do not speak to warn the wicked man from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. But if you, on your part, warn a wicked man to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your life. That, that last verse was God specifically speaking to Ezekiel, because he had placed Ezekiel as a watchman over the nation of Israel. How is that relevant today, you might wonder? 
because there are those of us who God has called even today to sound the alarm of what's going on in this nation. And one of those such individuals, in his own way, he has called he has been called to sound that alarm. But he does it in such a way that because of the love of God that he exhibits to people are drawn to Christ in him. I know I was. The first man of God, and I told this story last week, he was the first man of God who ever that I recognized who was reaching out to me in love. In times past, I wasn't really able to recognize acts of love, acts of love, when they were, you know, being directed towards me. But this gentleman, entire family, have always been uh, kind and loving to me. So he's going to bring part two of his message from Last week, uh, see if we got him on the line. Pastor John, you there? I'm here, brother. All righty, sir. Thank you for um, joining us again this week. Uh, I haven't. I'm having technical dif- difficulties, so I actually have my very dear friend Letitia Wong, who's the co-host, well, the host with me, uh, Pro Life Friday, soon to be. True Life Fridays Radio. Um, she she's running soundboard for us. So, um, Pastor John, I want you to take it away. I'm going to mute myself. But could you bless us with a word of prayer before you get started, please? I sure will. I sure will. Father God, I for your word. I thank you, sir, that you loved us so much. You gave us your word. It's not based on us. It's not based on our emotion. It's not based on your emotion. The word is what you have spoken. And because you said so, it is enough. There is nothing on earth that we need more than we need your word. I thank you, sir. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to quicken your word. Make it come alive in our ears tonight. Thank you, Father. Thank you for doing it, and I ask you, Holy Spirit, to minister to each and every heart tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'll tell you, um, since Thomas asked me to share with with you all, um, I've been thinking that, that um, I, I've been a pastor for a long time, been a pastor for about 35 years, and, uh, and in that time... Um, the pastorate being what it is, I have had to answer a whole lot of questions because by the time a person gets ready to talk to a pastor, um, they already have an entire set of preconceived notions about the way things are. And most of the time, in my experience, when someone comes to a pastor, they're not looking for um, for that pastor's advice, they're looking for that pastor to agree with them. And uh, and it has made a lot of people angry that I'm not really quick to agree with them about their preconceived ideas about who God is and what kind of stuff he does. And um, 
So if uh, if you have some of those sacred cows going on in your life, uh, the things that you uh, uh, that you hold dear to because Grandma said so, uh, or because I figured it out and that's the way it has to be, um, I'm probably going to kick over your favorite sacred cow, and um, I'm really all right with that. Uh, I've been kicking over sacred cows for quite some time, and in the process, seeing people get set marvelously free. And uh, I am more interested in you being free than I will ever be interested in guarding and protecting your cute little itty-bitty feelings and making sure your itty-bitty feelings are not uh, overblown and and are not uh, um, desensitized too much. Um, Our feeler is broken. There is no question about that. There never has been a question about that. The way we feel, how we feel, and most of the time what we feel is in the vernacular of the street completely jacked up. It is so completely jacked up that it's unrecognizable as truth. Our problem is when we take our feelings as truth, we don't care if they line up with the scriptures. We don't care if they line up with the word because well, bless God, this is what I feel. Well, whenever you lay that down as your big bottom line, this is what I feel, you have to ask yourself a really simple question. So stinking what? Big deal, so you feel something. Your feeler is not the end-all, be-all, final analysis, drop-dead bottom line. If it is, in your life, you are in more trouble than you will ever figure out. And that's just the truth. I, I am I am all about laying out the truth for you, and if that hurts your feelings, well, put on your big boy and big girl patties, and let's face the world together. We're going to get through this, and we're going to make it. God has designed us to make it, and he has given us every single weapon every single tool to get us through all this all this junk facing all the all the hard times and all the the mess that come at us and from every which direction god has given us every tool every weapon that it takes for us to conquer to get through it and he has made you to be a winner a conqueror that doesn't mean that you just hang on until the end is near. What a bunch of baloney. Get over yourself. God has made you to be a conqueror. A conqueror Amen. is someone that goes into battle knowing full well the outcome of this battle is me winning. You don't back off from the battle. Well, I don't know. The devil's kind of scary. Big deal. So he's scary. If you knew how you actually looked in the spirit, you would know that the devil is more afraid of you than you are of him. Amen. Is some good news. It's good news that the devil is more afraid of you than you are of him. Now, I want to talk about four things tonight uh, because each of these things is... is, um, a source of messed up thinking in the body of Christ. 
Um, uh, I've written a book called Get Real. It's available on Amazon. Get Real by John Anderson. You can find it there, easy as pie. Um, and the chapter nine in that book is called What Does God Use to Chasten, Reprove? Does God chasten his people? Yes, he does. Does he reprove his people? Yes, he does. Does he teach his people? Yes, he does. Is he interested in perfecting his people? Yes, he is. So all these things God does. Now, all of my life, all of my growing up, and since becoming a pastor, all of my pastoral life, I've heard people say, yeah, you know, God gave me that heart attack because he's just trying to make a point. He's just trying to get something across to me. Um, I don't know what they call that where you are, uh, where you grew up. Where I grew up, they call that a load of bull. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not true. It never has been true. It didn't get to be true in your special case because you're so thick-headed. It's just simply not true. God didn't give you a heart attack. You ate like a pig, didn't exercise, and gave yourself a heart attack. Put yourself under so much stress your body said enough's enough. You gave yourself a heart attack. Oh, now God didn't give you that car wreck either, sweetheart. God didn't give you that car wreck, no. You weren't paying attention. Maybe somebody else wasn't paying attention. And you happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and the devil tried to kill you. The fact that you're still alive is living proof that the devil doesn't get everything he wants. The devil doesn't get everything he wants. Just because the devil would like to kill you, it's living proof that he doesn't, he's not as powerful as he let on. Living proof of that by the simple fact that you're still sucking up air. You're still breathing. You're still walking around in the world. That's living proof that the devil doesn't win. Well, I know sweet old grandma so-and-so, and she just loved Jesus with all of her heart. And for her, and she died, okay? What's the worst thing that's going to happen to you as a Christian? Darn it. You're going to die and go to heaven. That's as bad as your bad days will ever get. You're going to die and go to heaven. Now, you see, I don't care how you slice it. I can't, I can't really make that mean something bad. I can't, I can't get a bad day out of that. When, when, when you die, at least, well, you know, I've been sick for a long time, and and I don't want to die. Well, nobody does. See, everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to go today. But the fact of the matter is, if you're going to die, at least die fighting. Don't don't just lay down and play dead until somebody comes along and pats you in the face with a shovel. It's not going to help your case. It's not going to increase your faith for you to just lay there and take it. Lay there and take it is not God's definition of patience. Patience, the, the biblical word patience is best described by the word consistency. And there is one thing in all the world that is utterly consistent 100% of the time. That's the word of God. 
The word of God is always the same. The word is God the word of God is absolutely consistent no matter what. First of these four things we're going to look at is what does God use to chasten us? Now, it's already been I've already said God does chasten us. Hebrews twelve nine clearly distinguishes between the father of our flesh and the father of our spirit. It says, furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the father of spirit and live? You see, God is not the father of my flesh. The father of my flesh was a fellow named Rusty Anderson. And, and in a lot of ways, Rusty Anderson was a hard man. He grew up in a very hard world. Um, he was born in 1904. That would make him somewhat elderly today if he was still alive. He died at the age of 85. The world he grew up in, by the time a man gets to be 12, he's old enough and man enough to take responsibility for himself. And we have 25, 30-year-old people still living at home in mama's basement trying to figure out what they want to do when they grow up. No, no, no. Put on your big boy pants. Put on your big girl pants and take responsibility for yourself. God is not the father of our flesh. And when we insist that that God is beating us up for, uh, in one way or another, he's given us some kind of a hard time, some kind of a hard circumstance, this bad thing, that bad thing, blah, 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 blah. That's what God's using. God's just trying to clean me up. God's trying to make me clean up my act. That's not what that's for. God does chasten you. He is the father of your spirit. Now, my father, Mr. Rusty Anderson, from a long time back, found the need to correct me for one kind of infraction or another. As a matter of fact, when he corrected me, it usually hurt. It raised a knot somewhere, usually around my head. Um, He was very fast for a short man. I never could run fast enough to get away from him, although I tried several times, mistakenly thinking that if I could evade him, he would not catch me. But he was fast. He was really fast. He was quick. And and he always caught me. and, And when I did something that was good enough for him to come after me for, I don't care what it took. My flesh, somewhere on my flesh was going to hurt. Now, I know they call that child abuse, blah, 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 all that stuff today. Um, I don't think it was child abuse. I think I was an idiot. And, uh, and I think he was doing his level best on whatever level he could to show me the error of my way. And the error of my ways brought pain with it. So the human spirit can be hurt. It can be damaged, but not by our flesh. Our flesh doesn't hurt our spirit. Our flesh, hurting our flesh, doesn't improve our spirit. It doesn't change our spirit. So that's one of the things that that we have to get a really good grip on really fast, because our flesh, the flesh, our, our body, Beating up on our body does not correct us. If that were the case, 
there would be people walking around, you know, one-legged, one-armed, one-eyed, whatever, that would be spiritual giants of one kind or another. Because, after all, their flesh has really been corrected, but it doesn't work. All my dad could do was take my body to task for what I had done, hoping the consequences would hurt bad enough to create a change in undesired behavior. That was all he could do. My dad could not get to my spirit. He just couldn't get to it. My dad, Rusty, did not have access to my spirit. When I made Jesus Lord of my life, I gave Jesus, my Lord, access to my spirit. And he began to correct me. He began to change me from the inside out. He didn't beat up on my body in order to make me change. Oh, my goodness. I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had over the years with people that say, well, you know, God has given me, you know, two car wrecks, a heart attack, and now i got emphysema, um, and, and I don't know what he's trying to get across. Gee, you think maybe you should quit smoking? Quit eating like a pig? Quit driving drunk? And I don't think that's God trying to tell you. I think that's the laws of averages trying to tell you that. I had a brother that died at the age of 27, left a wife and three kids under four behind him. What was he doing at the age of 27 that would cause him to die in a car wreck? Oh, he left his wife and kids home, and he and a couple of buddies were going to a dance in another town, drunk, driving drunk. And the guy that was driving the car had been driving in a car just seven days before, had a car wreck, and another man had lost his life. Seven days later, my brother lost his life, drunk, on his way to a dance, left a wife and three little bitty kids at home, bereft when daddy didn't come home that's that's as sad a story as can be told did god do that no god didn't do that my brother was an idiot my brother acted like an idiot and when you act like an idiot there is a price to pay and the world will see to it that your body pays the price eventually god is not the father of my body So he cannot deal with my spirit through my body. He can only deal with my spirit. God only deals with people on a spiritual level. He does not beat up our flesh in order to get us to change spiritually. See, if if my car needed better gas mileage, if I took a sledgehammer to the hood and, and... and just pounded the hood clear down into the shape of the engine, knocked out the windshield, knocked out the headlights, flattened all the tires. All right, now that'll teach you a lesson. You better get better mileage or I'm coming back. Well, you know, we treat God like that stupid mechanic. Why doesn't that work with your car? If it's supposed to work so good with us, why doesn't that work with our car? If you want your gas mileage to improve, You have to improve the engine. The thing that makes it go and the thing that makes you go is your spirit. 
You are a spirit. You have a soul, and you live in a body. I don't know how to make that any simpler. You are a spirit. That is who you really are. You have a soul, mind, will, emotions. You have that. That's not you. You have that. And you live in a body. This body carries you around. It's your earth suit. When people walk around out into, at the space station, when they're out walking in, in the cold vacuum of space, they have to wear a space suit that gives them the right and the ability to go out there and walk around and be around in, in the cold, hard vacuum of space. Well, this body, this earth suit, gives you the right and the ability to walk around on this earth and make a difference. Your body is your your entrance and access to this world. You're here, but you are the spirit. You are the guy that inhabits that pursuit. When people leave this atmosphere to go into space, they must travel in a space ship, and they work out in hard vacuum in the space suit. The suit, your body in this case, The space suit gives them the ability to move around out there. Your body gives you the ability to move around here. The Bible says to be absent from the body is to be the Lord. Now, God is not a procrastinator. He's not waiting for some big, long, far-gone day way in the future when he's going to sit up on his big chair and judge everybody. As soon as you check out of this body... You're in front of the judgment seat of God right there, right then. You don't wait around and you don't bumble around on the earth scaring people, jumping out of closets, you know, acting acting like some kind of ghost. No, the Bible says when you are absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. As soon as you check out of this body, you no longer have a right to be here, period, plain and simple. We're not our body, and we're not our soul. Our soul is a compilation of mind, will, intellect, and emotion. Those things are our possessions. They are not our identity. Primary means through which we give and receive communication is our soul. We, we communicate. Our, our, the spirit man that is you communicates through your mind, will, intellect, and emotions. It is a communication tool in the earth. Is it a perfect tool? Nope. Is it a godly tool? Nope. But it's yours. You own it. You are not it. It's very simple. And does God chasten his children? That comes back to that question. Absolutely he does. Hebrews twelve six tells us that whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. When God the Father of our spirit chastens us, it is because he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. Thankfully, he loves us just the way we are, but he doesn't want to leave us the way we are. There are eight different Hebrew words that have been translated into English as the word chastened. 
I think this is fascinating. They mean to convince, to reason together, to rebuke, to correct, to instruct, to reprove, and to teach. There are six Greek words translated chasten. They mean to convince, to educate, tutor, instruction, teach, and train. Now, if you were listening, not one of those words, Old Testament or New Testament, was a physical word. Not one of them was a word that said, beat the tar out of you and leave you twitching and bleeding until you get get it through your thick skull, what I'm trying to say. Not one of those words means that. Not one of those words says that. Teach, train, instruct, convince, rebuke, reprove. God is in the business of speaking to us. He's in the business of speaking. Well, what about the word scourge? That was in there. The word means to whip. And the root word for that Greek word means to squeeze. Christian people run afoul of that word when they misunderstand what part of the real you God works on. You know, there have been times when God has been in the midst of teaching and correcting me, and I have had a lot of correction in my life. And why have I had a lot of correction? Because I've done a lot of screwing up, plain and simple. But God has done a lot of reproving and correcting and rebuking in my life. But we run afoul of that word when because we misunderstand what part of the real you God works on. If we believe God beats up on our body to make some improvements to our spirit, we will apply the word scourge to any variety of physical mishappenstance. If we understand that God is the father of our spirit and therefore will scourge us on that level, we'll understand that for God to whip us and squeeze us in the spirit may be very well be the most uncomfortable thing we've ever endured. And I can tell you from personal experience, there have been times when I would much rather have simply taken a physical beating to have the Holy Spirit point out to me one more time where I messed up. Just one more time. Okay, you did it again. 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 John, this is how you correct that. This is how you correct that. And the Holy Spirit is so patient. You know, sweetheart, listen, God really does have forever. You, not so much. God actually does have forever, and he can afford to be so very patient with you, so very patient with you. God is so patient with you. He can afford to take forever to reprove, teach, correct, train you. He can afford that. He's got that kind of time. It might take your whole life for God to get a point across to you. He's got forever, and he's not going to love you less if it takes forever. Hebrews 12.10 tells us that the father of our flesh verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but God chastens us for our profit. 
that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, I think that's absolutely fascinating that when God speaks to us by his word through the spirit into our spirit, he does that so that we can be partakers of his holiness, not so that we can learn how to walk with crutches, not so that we can learn to live in a wheelchair, not so that we can struggle through life unable to talk because our vocal cords got cut or whatever. I mean, there's a, there's a gazillion things that can happen to any human being. And we see those things as, yep, sure enough, God's trying to talk to me. Listen, God doesn't try to do anything. Please understand this. God doesn't try to do anything at all. God does whatever it is he's doing. God does that. He doesn't try. He's not trying to get a... Listen, God being God and you being you, how hard do you think God has to try to get something across to you? How hard do you think God has to try to make a point. All he had to do was show up on the road to Damascus in front of Paul, one of the hardest-hearted people in human history. I mean, he killed men, women, and children because they made Jesus Lord of their life and thought he was doing God a favor. That's your basic hard-hearted guy. But all Jesus had to do was just show up. He didn't even say anything. He just showed up, got knocked off of his horse, and he said, Lord, who are you? And then finally Jesus spoke. He said, why are you persecuting me? Paul was killing people right and left, and he had permission of the synagogue leaders, the the leaders of of Judaism of the day, the, the Sanhedrin which was the highest ruling body in Judaism at the, at the time. He had a letter giving him permission to go wherever he was going and to imprison people, <clears throat> and if he didn't imprison them, to drag them out into the street and kill them where they stood, men, women, and children. He had permission from religious leaders to do that, and he was doing it day after day after day after day. I mean, the man had blood all over his hands from what he was doing, thinking he was doing God a favor by stomping out these hideous Christians. And yet all Jesus had to do was show up. He didn't threaten Paul. He didn't say, oh, now you've really done it. You made me so mad. I don't think I can take one more thing. No. He just simply showed up and loved him. Jesus loved Paul. And he simply asked him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Well, Paul didn't think he was persecuting Jesus. He thought he was persecuting these stupid Christians. No, when you one of God's people, God takes it personal. Jesus took it personal. He knew that it was people, men, women, and children, dying, being thrown into prison, 
homes being ripped apart. He knew that it was people, but what Paul was doing, he was doing to Jesus. And Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? What does God use to chasten us? His word and the Holy Spirit. Fathers of our flesh chastened us for a season for pleasure. You know, most of the time when I disciplined my kids, and I wasn't an easy dad, when I disciplined my kids, I disciplined my kids because I wanted a particular set of behaviors to stop. Why? Because it was irritating me. And also because I thought maybe, just maybe, if this kid keeps this up, somebody's going to come along and knock his block off for him, and it's going to be better that somebody who loves him does it first. I didn't say that all my reasoning pieces were brilliant. God chastens us so we can be better partakers of his holiness. Listen, I've ministered in the inner city. I know people that have gone through the hardest of hard times. If going through the hardest of hard times makes you more holy, the inner cities of every city in the world should be absolutely, absolutely shoulder-to-shoulder crammed full of spiritual giants, people laying hands on the sick and watching healing, watching cancer flee, raising the dead. These people ought to just be all over the inner city. And, and Jesus ought to just be popping out of the woodwork everywhere. And I can tell you, it's not that way there. Why? Because going through the hardest of hard times does not make you more holy. It doesn't, it doesn't cause you to be a partaker of his holiness. It causes you to hurt. That's what it causes. Anyone who, do you know of anyone who's more holy because of cancer, arthritis, car wrecks, or heart attacks? I know people that have been through that kind of stuff, and all they are is more hurt. They're more hurt. They're more devastated. Is the holy part of that, is that, is that something that we grow into? The Bible says Jesus has been made unto you holiness has been made unto you holiness. Because of what Jesus has done, you are holy. Aunt Trusty, she had arthritis and heart trouble, and she's really holy. She just yells at everybody. <laughs> Excuse me. You know, just Aunt Trusty, bless her heart. Just because she's grouchy doesn't make her holy. Ah. Uh, Please get over that. Please, oh please. Hebrews twelve nine gives us the key to the chastening of the Lord and what makes it work in our lives. We are instructed to be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live. We must submit ourselves to the Father and his discipline of our spirit. If we do, we will live. Does God chasten us? Absolutely through his word, by his spirit. The next one of those things that it said is teach. Does God teach his children? Absolutely. 
the word the word teach means to admonish. None of these words, none of them are physical. Listen, uh, you're probably a lot younger than I am, and that's okay. Uh, when I was a kid, it was still okay if a, if a child was messing up to smack them. Uh, a friend of mine called a teacher an SOB and nearly got stuffed into the little louvers of a locker. Uh, a girl that I went to school with thought it would be funny to mar- smart, smart mouth off to the teacher, and he took her up front of the class, bent her over the desk, and swatted her with a board about three inches wide and about a foot and a half long. And he swatted her three times with that right in front of everybody. Oh, that's so embarrassing. Yep. She didn't smart mouth off anymore, though. And it didn't seem to leave any permanent scars. Um, it was a common thing that if a child was was uh, messing around and not not doing what he was supposed to do in school, the teacher would take a ruler and smack him on the knuckle. It was a common thing because they thought it worked. Well, it didn't work. And maybe it's a good thing that teachers don't do that anymore. Does God teach his people? Yes, but he doesn't do it by smacking our knuckles. I, I, I got hit on the back of the head with a dictionary one time because I had... Uh, had this dictionary and a comic book inside of it that I thought I was being so clever hiding. <coughs> Did I mention that I wasn't terribly bright when I was in school? Um, that'd be yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. A Proverbs one twenty three is the wisdom or the word of God speaking to us. Turn you at my reproof. Does God teach his children? Absolutely. Does he reprove his children? Absolutely. How does God teach? Through his spirit, through his word. He doesn't teach by cancer, car wrecks, hard times, losing jobs. That's not God teaching anybody anything. God teaches through his spirit and through his word. Um, Proverbs one twenty three. The wisdom of God says, I will pour out, turn to me, turn you at my reproof, says the word, the wisdom of God. I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. God does reprove us, but he does it by his word and his Holy Spirit. And we must turn to it on our own. God will not make us turn to his word. He will not make us turn to his word. He won't do it. Why? Because he's not in the forcing anybody business. If God was going to force somebody to do something, he'd just go ahead and force everybody to get saved. That way nobody would go to hell. And, you know, if there's never been anything that's the will of God, God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. His desire is that everyone should make Jesus Lord of their life, that everyone should come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. That's what God wants. He really wants that. So what does he do to reprove us? He holds his word out before us by his spirit, and he says, take it. 
Take the word. Take the word. Take the word. Take the word. Turn you at my reproof. And what happens if you don't? What happens if we don't turn to his reproof? Does he need to resort to stronger measures? You know, uh, I've been around churches a long time, and and I've heard all kinds of of crazy illustrations given by, by preachers. One of the craziest illustrations I've ever heard was uh, the one about the mule. Saw this man working a mule in his field, and he said, oh, that mule just works hard. He's a good mule. i got to have that mule. And he went and uh, went to the farmer that owned it, and he said, I want to buy that mule. And the guy said, okay, here's the money. <clears throat> and he went and bought the mule. And when he got ready to lead the mule home, he pulled on the rope and the mule just stood there. So he pulled harder and the mule just stood there. He jerked on the rope and the mule just stood there. And finally, the farmer that previously owned the mule came over and said, that's not going to work. Well, what am I supposed to do? The farmer went over to an old discarded post pile, picked up a feet long, came over and just laid into that mule on the top of his head, just smacked him as hard as he could with that post and knocked the mule to his knees. When the mule shook his head and got back up again, the new farmer pulled on the rope and the mule just tried to ride along after him. Everything was just fine. He said, how come that worked? He said, I don't know. You just had to get his attention. And that preacher went on to say, see, that's how we are. Sometimes God just has to get our attention. Lie, lie, lie. God doesn't beat you up with a fence post or a two-by-four or whatever your particular version of that joke was to get your attention. He doesn't do it. He doesn't resort to stronger measures when you don't listen the first time. See, we have to get over thinking of God as a giant human. He's not. He created humans, and he created us so that we could become like him, not because he's like us. Big, big difference. Amen. Very big difference. So if we make somebody do something, what do we have? If I make you do something, I am responsible for what you just did. If I tell you this is what needs to be done, do it, and you do it, great, you did it. You don't do it, great, that's still on you. It says in Proverbs 1, 30 through 33, they would none of my my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with all their own devices, turning away of the simple, foolish, and seductible shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkens unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. If we don't turn to God's reproof, we'll eat the fruit of our own way, destruction and death. It's up to us. It's on us. It's not God saying, yeah, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. No, that's not him. God doesn't do that. If we wish wish to dwell safely, 
and be quiet from the fear of evil? We need to do what the Word says to do. The Word is the wisdom of God. The Word is the reproof of God. Destruction of any kind is not God's reproof. It is the result of not turning to God's reproof, his word. And it's our choice, not God's choice. God didn't choose to, okay, I'll let you go as long as I can. Then, boy, you better watch out. I'm going to knock you flat. No, that is not God. God is not that fellow. Nobody in the body of Christ doubts that God teaches and reproves his people. But there's a great deal of confusion about how he does it. And the sad thing of it is, many people believe God will use the two-by-four method or the post method to get the job done. He also doesn't use the rat in the maze method. possible that there may be yet another way for God to get the point across. John 14:26 says, Who does the teaching and how? But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said to you. The Holy Spirit shows us whatsoever Jesus has said. That's the word. If we are not reading and or hearing the word of God, there is painfully little he can do for us. If we want to hear the word and feed our faith, God has given us a series of gifts. Now, here's a series of gifts that God has given us so that we can understand the word. I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had with people who say, well, I read the Bible all the time. I just don't understand it. That person doesn't read the Bible all the time. They might read the Bible some. They might read the Bible a little. They don't read the Bible all the time. If you read the Bible all the time, God is going to reward your effort with help. That's what he does. Ephesians 4.11, and he gave some apostles, that's a ministry gift of the word, and some prophets, a ministry of the word, and some evangelists, a ministry of the word, and some pastors, a ministry of the word, and teachers, a ministry of the word. God sent ministries of the word into the body of Christ to teach us the word. That's what all those people are for. That's what I'm for. People understand the word, not to help them understand me. I barely understand me. God set me in the body of Christ to help people understand the word. Why? Because we need to understand the word. I have a pastor. I have ministry friends. I have ministers that I receive from. I'm I'm just a, a guy in church, just like you. Uh, just because God's called me to be a pastor doesn't mean that I am that I am immune to the need to be pastored, to be shepherded over. I am not. And the last thing is perfect. Does God want to perfect his people? Yes. Genesis 17, 1, God says, walk before me and be perfect. Matthew 5, 48, he says, be therefore perfect, even as your father which is in heaven is. That word meant flawless. He is destined for a life of total disappointment. God doesn't think that the word perfect means 
utterly flawless. The word, the Greek word that's translated perfect means to be entire, whole, completely sound and mature. Isn't that fascinating? God expects us to strive to be mature. God wants us to grow up, church. He wants us to grow up. Well, well, I just have a hard time. Well, welcome to the planet. Everybody has a hard time. Get over it. Keep trying. Keep trying. Keep trying. God gave us ministries of the word, such as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We have ministries of the word. Well, why did God give us those ministries? Keep reading in Ephesians 4.11, or after 4.11, for the perfecting, the maturing of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, that is the building up of the body of Christ, until we all come in the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of, of stature, of the fullness of Christ. God wants us to grow up and to stop being children, to become mature, to become powerful people. God wants us to be powerful people. He gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, ministries of the word for the maturing, the completing, the making whole, of the saints. Notice he didn't give problems, tests, trials, hardships, and tragedies to perfect us. He gave us ministries of the word. Now, I don't care if you go through a hard time and you happen to learn something. It still wasn't God. It doesn't matter if you went through some kind of a tragedy and you you managed to grow in Christ as you went through that. It still wasn't the tragedy that caused it. You turn to the Word of God, and that's what caused you to grow. Very, very simple. Very simple. It's profitable. The Word of God, it, the Bible says that, that the Word of God is profitable. It says that in, in Timothy. The Word of God is profitable. It's profitable. That means it's valuable. It's worth something. It's advantageous. When we're trying to read the word and the devil is trying to tell us how boring and what a waste of time it is and our flesh is agreeing with the devil, we must remind the devil and our flesh that the word is profitable. What's it profitable for? The word doctrine means straight and organized thinking. It doesn't mean believe it my way or you're going to hell. It means organized thinking, strange straightforward, simple. It's profitable for reproof. Listen, I don't care what a goody two-shoes you are. I don't care how many things you've done right. You need to be reproved because you're just like all the rest of us. You put your pants on one leg at a time, and I guarantee you whether you have one or not, your bathroom is in need of a fan. That's where the amen is supposed to go right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. The word is profitable for re- reproof. It doesn't mean that any of us has the right to use the word as our personal club for getting the world or the church into our definition of shape. 
When you go to the Word, don't go looking for something to beat somebody else up with. Go to the Word looking for the Word to correct you. Amen. It's enough that it corrects you. You don't have to correct anybody else. You know, the Holy Ghost didn't die and leave you as sheriff of the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. And it's profitable for correction. Too often believers take it upon themselves to play Holy Ghost and interpreter interpreter of the word. And too many Christians try to fix each other because, bless God, I've got this figured out. No, you don't. You know, when we compare ourselves to one another, we, we end up feeling pretty good about ourselves. When you compare yourself to me, you say, boy, I'm a lot better shape than that John Anderson guy. You bet. Ooh, man, I'm, I'm really doing great. You're probably right. If you'll go ahead and have nerve enough to compare yourself to Jesus, you are one big drooling idiot. And just keep comparing yourself to Jesus. It's okay. Jesus is used to hanging out with folks like you. Moving right along. And it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. It does not mean how to be as right as I am. The Word is the only place where God shows us what we have and who we are as a result of being in Jesus. God has given us His Word. And His Word is enough. His word is enough. It is enough for us. It is enough for us to win. It is enough for us to conquer. It is enough for us to be healed. It is enough for us to be blessed. His word is enough. Receive it. Say and be done. Amen. Wow. Well, Thomas, it's been fun sharing with you. I've enjoyed it. You, <laughs> this is what I, that's what I miss the most about uh, just being around you on a full-time basis because when you bring the word, um, you, um, you just, you keep it real. You're straight to the point and, um, you know, you just, you just keep it real. And um I don't know, I just it just excites me. Um if you will for me real quick, Pastor John, because I am going to um log in on from a different phone real quick. So could you just share a little bit more with the people because I got someone who's listening in who I'm a See if they would like to ask a question or make a comment or even just one prayer. Because we we have about 30-something minutes left. And if you can just share a little bit more while I log in to from a different phone and get my Internet connected, I'd really appreciate that. I sure can. I've been been ministering for a long time. Um, And, and, you know, I, I didn't start ministering until I learned that God is the guy that spoke. And the word of God is literally the word of God. God has spoken. And when I figured out that God spoke and he spoke to me, it is enough for me that he has spoken. 
I don't need anything else. There isn't anything else that I could possibly need. And once I figured that out, I finally had something to minister to people. Now, I was a Christian and knew that I was called to preach for nearly 10 years before I finally stepped out and began to minister. I stepped out and began to minister because I figured out who God is and what his word is. Once you understand what the word is, how you can apply that word and make changes in your life, once you figure that out, absolutely nothing is impossible to you. And that's the greatest good news I could possibly share with anyone, is the word of God is there, it's open, it's free for you, And once you learn to apply that word, it will change your life forever. It exactly is that simple. I don't know how to make it more simple than that. And I need things to be simple for me because I'm a pretty simple guy. I need things to be simple. And as long as God keeps those things simple, I'm good with that. I can can do simple. When things get complicated... I get nervous, I get upset, and then I find out I have just sweet-talked myself into doing something stupid. Because God isn't complicated. God didn't make his word complex. It's not the least bit complex. I'll tell you what makes the word complex. It's religion. Religion complicates the word. Religion complicates everything. You know... When I first got saved, it was because I found out Jesus loved me and did it all for me, pure, unadulterated grace. And then somebody came along and said, yeah, that's right, man, oh, man, that grace is wonderful stuff, but, you know, there are just a couple of good rules that you need to abide by. And if you'll just do these two or three things here, You'll be a really good Christian then. So I tried to do those two or three things, and then somebody else came along and said, you know, those two or three things and all that great, that's really wonderful. There's just a couple of other things those other guys overlook. <clears throat> You'll want to try try doing these things. Well, don't even, not so much a matter of try, really. You just need to do them because, bless God, if you don't, you know God's not going to be happy. And on and on and on and on, and next thing you know, I'm so wrapped up in legalism that I can't move. I can't I can't twitch. I can't even I can't pray, I can't worship, I can't study the Bible. Why? Because it's not possible for me to do enough things right. I just can't do it. I 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 can't do it. Well sure enough. How did I get saved? I mean, I was a drug abuser. I was I was a, a a pusher. I was selling LSD through chain link fences at junior high schools in Denver, making two hundred bucks a day, collecting lunch money from kids so they could get high. At junior high schools, you know, I was the guy parents warned their kids about. I was that guy, and Jesus saved me anyway. Wow, talk about no class. But Jesus saved me. And he didn't save me so that I could learn a few good rules. He did it all 
period. Amen. Amen. You know, Pastor John, we can never get enough of hearing the reality of who Jesus Christ is and what he did on Calvary for for us. You know, that you know, I I shared this before with you. The reason why I named my ministry Reality in Christ Ministries is because really sometimes I just don't think we as believers have grasped the full magnitude of all that Jesus did for us because if mm-hmm. we did, we would be able to walk into freedom. I've had the last few days just talking to um, two young ladies, uh, one a foster relative of mine, the other someone dear to me talking about the Lord and just, you know, just them asking questions and just just absorbing it like sponges. And it's just been a total, it's been joy to me because for many years, I've got I've gotten away from that because of the things I was dealing with, trying to get healing for my own self. You know, after what I went through, and mm-hmm. and but now that vigor has been restored, and especially in light of what's going on in our nation, I'm like this, Pastor John. Let them come. What can they do to mm-hmm. me? I have freedom. In Christ Jesus and that same freedom that I have, I want to share it with others because the gifts yeah. that God has given us are not for us. That's what people no. got to understand. You know, it's okay if the denominational church over there wants to not use the spiritual gifts. I'm not talking the natural gifts and talents. I'm talking the spiritual gifts, the, apo- the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelistic, the pastoral, and the teaching gifts, the spiritual gifts, if they want to sit on it, that's fine. But you know what? God's love has given us the ability, like you said earlier, everything that we need to be successful, God deposited in our DNA. We he gave us it all. We have to allow him, though, to mature us. Am mm-hmm. I right or wrong? That's exactly right. <clears throat> and how do we allow him to mature us? We take ourselves to the word. Amen. We don't wait for him to take us to the word. We take ourselves to the word. You know... One of the funnest things for me, Pastor John, it's like I tell people all the time, I don't know everything in the Bible. I don't know everything in God's Word. But the part of the Word that I do know, I know it very well because mm-hmm. I I took it and I wrote it on my heart. I can, yep. I can read the Bible, and I'm about to say something crazy, and it's going to blow people's minds, but... I can read the Bible without even actually reading the opening it up. And what uh-huh. I mean by that is that there are scriptures 
that I can lay down, start meditating on scriptures. Scripture will pop into my head, and I'll start thinking about the scriptures because a lot of times people get caught up. People get caught up in knowing where specifically it's at, but it's a knowledge that God gave me, and that yep. is this. He doesn't care if you know the address or not. He cares whether or not you know what what the application of that scripture means. Because scripture yeah. will well, pop in my head. Right, exactly. Because it's like scripture will pop in my head. I don't know the address. I can explain the context of the scripture. And, and they're like, well, where's that at? And I'll say, I can look it up for you because, you know, God has given us the ability you can look up scriptures many ways. Like me, I can look up a scripture based on one word just yeah. because that is a gift that God's given me. And like my spiritual father here, Pastor John, I love sharing the word. I love telling people what's right about them in Christ instead of always tearing somebody down with the word, mm-hmm. you know, well, because, oh, my goodness, it's, it's 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 an exciting and it's a awesome proposition for proposition for me because you know God is bringing me back unto where He has originally positioned for me to be, even in the midst mm-hmm. of what's going on, folks. I know you know I know my calling in Christ. I know where I know what I'm called to, but I can yep. tell you this with all sureness and confidence that God called me because of his love in me, not because mm. of anything that I've done on my own, but because because of what he brought me through. I love him enough to want to reach out to the people that I care about, and I care about people, regardless yep. of who you are, to tell you the truth. And with that, Pastor John, would you um, just close us out with a phenomenal prayer? And I don't know what you're doing next week, but I would love for you to come back for a third week if you can, if you got anything. Well, I think I can do that. Um, What I would like to talk about, because this is a a subject that has has confused a lot of people, is... uh, And, and I've heard this a couple of gazillion times in my years in ministry. Well, what about Job? You know, Job yes. had a lot of problems, and God pointed Job out to the devil and said, see what you can do with that one. And, yes. you know, I, I've heard all of that kind of stuff. I want to tell folks the truth about Job. Yes, that is awesome. Yes. I've heard you preach that before, so I'm not giving it away. Yes, because <laughs> before you pray, let me let me address that for a minute. That is okay. one of the things, Pastor John, that used to annoy me because I would hear people trying to apply things to Job, but they say, well, Job was lapsed faith. But and I'm like, but the Bible says that, even though Job, at the end, I believe it was at the end of Job's 42nd chapter, at the end where it said, Job suffered all manners of things, but yet with, he did not sin against God with his mouth. 
Yep. So even all the things that Job suffered, he didn't sin against God with his mouth. But yet I've heard, just like you have, I've heard many different things preached. Well, Job went through this. Um, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. I yeah. hate that thing. That is so. Well, I don't. I don't hate it, but I sure understand it. And oh. we'll talk about that one too. Okay. <laughs> so, could you close us out with prayer, please, sir? I sure will. Not a problem. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that we get to come before Your Word as as just as dear children. We don't have any agenda because we're not smart enough to create one. You are the only agenda we need, Jesus. You have given us the word, and your word has created in us a hunger and a thirst for more word. Lord, show us how to feed ourselves. Show us how to grow up and feed ourselves more so that we can become those very people that we we need and wish to become that make a difference in the world. I thank you for that, Father. And, Father, those hearts that are listening right now, I ask you to reach inside of each and every one of them and pull out the negativity, pull out the fear, the anger, the frustration that they're not where they're supposed to be or where they think they're supposed to be, and just show them simple relationship with Jesus. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you. Thank you, sir, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, I'm telling you, we have our hope and our trust in Christ Jesus. And I can't tell you how much I am personally grateful that the Lord loved me enough to send this gentleman that you all have heard preaching and teaching and who will hear teaching next week as well. This man impacted my life in ways that I don't think I could ever understand or comprehend, and he did it with one action, and that was the love of God. Folks, that's what it's about, because until we walk in the love of God, we cannot activate the full power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us without the key ingredient, and that's the love of God. And until we do that, we will continue to be battered and bruised by the enemy unless we take a hold and embrace the fullness and the richness of God's love for us. But, Pastor John, I want to thank you once again um, for your message today. I'm going to go back and listen to this one, too. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay. Uh, I'm just I'm just blessed to have you as a spiritual dad in the faith. God knew what He was doing when He connected us, and so yes, He did. You wish your grandson a happy birthday for me again, and tell you right. 
out there. I say hello, and I will see you next week. All right. Sounds good, Tom. You have a wonderful day and a great week yourself. Bye-bye now. All right. Bye-bye. Now, folks, um, I just I want to end on a um, very, very, very powerful note. Um, I'm gonna play a little. I'm gonna play a little Casting Crowns. I'm gonna end the same way we started this show, with worship and word.
We're living in a day and time. We're being politically correct. It's popular. Let me turn that around again. We're living in a day and time where everybody sings the name God. But nobody wants to say the name Jesus. We don't want to offend the Muslims. We don't want to offend the Jews. We don't want to offend the Arabs. And so therefore we crucify him of flesh. But I want you to know that there will come a time when every Muslim, when every Buddhist, when every Jew will have to get down on their knees and have to confess that in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. So I want every blood-washed believer to not wait until then. And if you've ever gone through something, you know right here that there's something about the next something
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.